easy because we say, Amen, God's Lord of my life. I know that He's overcome the battles that I face in this life, but there are some times where it is very hard to understand that God is above. He is overpowering. He is able to take us out of that stuff because we focus on things that are negative. Anything that's negative is not of God. And when we focus those, on those things, instead of where we should put our focus, we tend to look at things negatively. I want to take a second, just, just real quick, to introduce myself. My name is Matt Griswold. I know we have, a lot of, we have some new faces here today. My name is Matt Griswold. I'm the lead pastor here at Connection. And we want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for checking us out. We're glad that you're here. Whether it's your first time or your 1,000th time at Connection, you are a part of our family. We love you. If you're a returning person that you come in here for the, for the second or third time and want to say the same thing, we love you. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you can visit with us today. If you're from a distance away, we're thankful that you're here. And we're going to join together as a big family today, and we're going to focus on what God has for us. And when we do that, sometimes it's very, very difficult. Sometimes, you know what, you may have had a, you may have had a week that wasn't so hot. You ever had those? You ever had a really, really, really great week? See, the, our terminology and, and what we want to do uh, as people, we think, oh, I'm so stressed out at work, all I need to do is get away, go to vacation. Now, there's sometimes that that is very biblical, that is very okay, and it's very necessary. But sometimes we want to think, oh, the only thing that I want to do early in my marriage, the only thing that I wanted to do is marry. I've just got to go bow hunting. I've got to get out of here. I've got to go, I've got to go attempt to kill a deer. I've got to sit alone in a tree by myself. What I found, and, and whenever I come back, it'll be easier to talk to me. Or Mary, I just need to go play golf. Mary, I just need to go drive around. Mary, I just need to be by myself. See, that's, that's what we want to do when, we, when things start going a little bit haywire. I want to be by myself. You've probably heard this. This summer, there's going to be a whole bunch of you that go on vacation. I'm going to hear from some of you. When you're going to come back from vacation, go, I need to go back to work so I can rest. Because vacation has become this, this job, this work, this, this thing. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's, it's very important that we spend time with our families and we're able to go different places. But listen, there's a time for rest and there's time for peace. But even in those stressful times, that's what we're talking about today. Even, even in the stressful time, God says, listen, I want to give you peace. If you will remember last week, I told you we're going to be in the book of Ruth for a couple weeks. We're going to use one verse from the book of Ruth, so I don't want you to try to find that tricky book in the Old Testament again. Okay? A little bit later, if you want to find maybe an easier one, you go to the first book of the New Testament. We're going to be in Matthew, but we're not going to be there for a little while. But I, I, want, to, I want to remind you something. We were in Ruth. Naomi goes over, she follows her husband, Elimelech, he dies, her two sons die, all these things happen. And it's Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. And they go back to where Naomi's from, they think, oh, this is going to be a great day, welcome, welcome Naomi, welcome, we're so glad that you're home. And she has the audacity to say this. And I talked about when we all go home, sometimes when we go back home, it's really fun, it's really really awesome, it's really cool to see different people. And when Naomi walks in the streets, the people come up and say, Naomi, it's great to have you here. And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. She said, the Lord has raised his fist against me. Now let, watch, we talked about that, that she is focused on the negative. She was focused on the negative. So we, we fast forward just a little bit and we looked at how Ruth reacted. Ruth could have went back with Orpah, 
to her homeland, but she said, no, I'm going to follow you, my mother-in-law, and I'm going to worship the God, your God, the God of Israel, the one true God. I love that song. I'm a child of the one true king. You know what? There's only one. That's it. I love that song. I even like, I, you know, my, my part in that, Jack had me, and, and if, if you don't know it, um, maybe next time we do it, you'll hear it, but my, my part in that song, Jack goes, now when we go, when we go to the, oh, 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 I want you to be that guy that goes, oh, oh, <laughs> and I thought, man, why am I going to go, oh, oh, but it matched, it worked. See, the thing, when we, when we, when we have our life like this, and we think, God, my, my, my impact in this life is so small, it's insignificant. God, you're not going to be able to use me doing this little thing. That's when God says this, I gave you a life. And sometimes you get to sing the child of the one And sometimes your part is, uh-oh. <laughs> but you know, when you put all that puzzle piece together, it makes a pretty picture. And when you put all that together in your life, you're going to find that it's a lot easier to go through life because you're going to have a lot more hope. You're going to focus a lot less on your negativity. And Ruth chose correctly. She said, even whatever I do, she even told Naomi in Scripture, in the book of, in the book of Ruth, she said, I am going to die wherever you die. I'm going to give my life to serve you and to serve God. We found out that she goes into the, to the wheat field. She's blessed with having the water. But she was rewarded. Now the title of the sermon, if you have your worship handout, is Where Do You Go? When things go wrong. And we're going to review just a little bit of things because there's some people that may not have got it. And if you want to write these down, you can write these down. But where do you go when things go wrong? Ruth chose correctly. Correctly. Now look at verse, look, at, look on the screen. Just look, look at this with me real fast. Ruth 2 verse 12. Now watch this. This is at the very end of last week's sermon. This is where we ended. But it says, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Now where do you go when things go wrong? Ruth knew where to go. She, was re- she showed responsibility and that she was taking care of Naomi. So she went to get food and she went to have a job. Later on in that book, you, you would see how God richly blessed her life for doing what she should do. But we find... That where do you go when things go wrong? Listen, I'm not proud to say that, but at Connection, we seek to be a very real church, and we are not perfect. Thank God. We understand that. (laughs) But earlier in my marriage, Mary, I just need to go play golf. Mary, I just need to get alone. Mary, I just need to go do this. Mary, I just need to go bow hunt. Mary, I just need to do this. I just need to be alone. Would you just stop? I don't like to relive this and rehash this. But we're past this. We're past this. I used to say, I just want to be alone. Would you just leave me alone? And if you remember, I'm going to repeat that survey that I gave. I, 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 for the first time in a long time, I'm not seeking a teaching degree or teaching. But before I left that school, I took a survey of kids, of teachers, and I asked them this very, very simple question. And I said, where do you go when things go wrong? Where do you go when things go wrong? Now, we're talking high school-age kids and teachers, okay? And principals and superintendents, okay? There were no names added to this, so you, you have no idea who said what. But pe- people wouldn't ask where they go when things go wrong. They said this, the number one answer. You ready? I just want to be left alone. 
this is kids. This is kids, not just adults. This is kids. I just want to be alone. I just want to be alone. I want to be in solitude. Number two, I was very, very thankful for what they said. And, and some of them even used the term, well, my friends do, or my friends do. Most of this answer was from the adults, but they said they would return back to their addictive behaviors. If some of them are stressed out, they said, I go eat food. When some of them are stressed out, they say, I don't eat. I go back to an addictive behavior, something like this. So I just want to be left alone, addictive behavior. Now, this is a kid's question, and this is the kid's answer. Where do you go when things go wrong, my friends? Only problem is, some friends are good, safe. Some friends are not good and safe, and we've all been there, I think. Number four, they said family. But when you ask this generation, where do you go when things go wrong, you know this is going to come up. Number five answer. Where do you go when things go wrong? Social media. Because nothing says I love you like blasting their name on Facebook. That's facetious. I was being sarcastic. That's the last place you need to go. The Bible is very clear about that, by the way. The Bible says if you have a problem with another follower of Jesus Christ or another person, you're to go to them. Not wreck their image on social media. Good night. We have enough of that. You can't look online. You can't look at Yahoo News. You can't look at MSN without negative, 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 negative. We're supposed to be different. But social media, and this is the big one. This is what I caught. Because when I asked this, some of them started telling me their story. So in number six, they included this. They tell their epic story to anyone who will listen. They did the Naomi. My life is so bad. God has raised his hand against me. Listen, I understand. I know that life can deal some cards that are really hard to take in your hand. I get it. I know. I've been there. We've all been there. We all have our stories. And I'm going to repeat something that some of you need to write down, and I need to look at it every once in a while. Mary, Mary thinks it's, it's, it's comical. Sometimes she comes in our bathroom mirror, and things that I really need to see, really need to look at, really need to remember, sometimes are written on our bathroom mirror. And maybe I need to go home and put this on there. Because when things go wrong, this is what we like to do. We like to focus on our negativity, and we do this. It's okay to go to the pity party. When this life happens, it can be very hard. You can lose loved ones. Man, I can't even imagine the stress. I cannot imagine the heartache that Naomi had in her life. Losing her two sons, her husband, and another daughter-in-law that she sent back to her country. And there's heartache. And when this life throws out heartache, God gave us emotions. Yes, we are going to feel pain. Yes, we are going to feel this, discomfort. And it is okay to grieve. There's grieving in the Bible. It is okay to grieve. Those are God-given emotions. But what God says is there's a time to grieve, there's a time to heal, and when, the, and when you go to the pity parties, listen, you've got to know when to leave. Don't stay there. Don't stay there because you get wrapped up in telling epic stories and you, you get wrapped up with negativity and all these things start swimming in your head and you say, oh, I just need to... I, I know none of you do this. But when something goes wrong... Some of us, if our phones were old cults from the Old West, we would be the fastest draw ever. Instead of doing this, it's... Do you know what he did? You don't even have to touch your phone. Some of you, some of you took out... And I'm guilty of this because I don't like pushing. I have an iPhone. I don't like pushing all the buttons. I input swipe because I, th- I like swipe. Swipe lets you talk really fast. 
Some of these kids, some of these kids, some of these adults don't even have to look at their phone and be able to text exactly what they want to text. I used to teach high school. I know how sneaky they are. You're not allowed to have your phone in this class? It doesn't matter. They can hold their phone underneath the desk, and they can swipe, and they can carry on a conversation with just a single glance, and you'll never know they're doing it. But this is what we like to do. We like to focus on our negativity, and we like to say, hmm, I want what I want. And sometimes we say, justice is what I want. But when it happens to us, we're the first one to yell mercy. So we go on. If you have your worship handout with me, you know, there were some people, there were some people that when you walked in, that was their, that was their, their, their job that they got to do today. Not their job they had to do. They got to. They, you probably were handed one of these, your worship handout. If you have this with me, flip it over to the first one. And I know some of you are going to go, oh my goodness, I see all this scripture. Matt's not going to get done before 3 o'clock. I want you to say, understand that I will. Okay? I will. I'm taking my, my wife out for lunch. I will be done. Okay? Now, these scriptures that we're going to go over in Matthew that you see down here, please, please, when you have time this week, we're going to go through them, but we're going to go them, through them pretty quick. I'm going to show you about Jesus and what he did with people that came to him with their epic stories. It's the most, one of the most phenomenal stories. One of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible is Matthew 9, just to watch how Jesus moves with the people, how he reacts with the people. But if you have one of these worship handouts and you open that first page, there's going to be a place where you can have some notes. You're going to fill in some blanks. They're going to be up here on the screen. Check this out. On the very first one, God always repays what, for what an individual does. And as you, as you write these down, I'm going I'm to talk a, a little bit. Just, just copy these down. And number two is God always takes care of those who will let him lead their life. See, we want to focus our, our thoughts, our feelings. When we read this story of Naomi and Ruth, we get stuck on Naomi and we think, man, when things went wrong, she sang the song. You know the song. Woe is me. Everything is bad. you like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. I'm happy. No, you're not. You're lying. You're not happy. I'm fine. I guess I won't go to the party. You could ask someone this, and you could, you, they, could, they, had, they could have just been, been given $1,000. So, how's your day? Well, it was okay. What happened today? Well, somebody gave me $1,000. Seriously? Give me $1,000. Watch me react. It will be different. <laughs> Promise. Now, God always repays for what an individual does. Now, we're going to watch this. We're going to watch this because, because Naomi's at the pity party and she's hanging out. She's serving punch there. She doesn't want to leave. Okay, it's often like I was, and my dad's a pastor. Okay? Now, if, you, if you've been around pastor's kids, stereotypes, really, we're not going to go there. Anyway, pastor's kids, we're the last people to leave church. Did you know that? I have shut off the lights in so many basements and ran because I feared ghosts or something. I tell you what, the scariest place in the world is being in a basement in a church with the lights off. I don't know why, but it is to me. But my, my dad, he, he, put this, he put this on us. He taught us this. If somebody doesn't do their job, I'm going to teach you how to do that job or how to teach someone else to do that job, and that's how you're going to lead. You're going to lead by being able to serve. I didn't like that. Because serving meant doing things like serving drinks, getting to eat last. 
you know, and I told you, I told you this terminology before. We, me and my sister, we didn't get, we didn't get asked to do things. We got voluntold. So it appeared that we had an option, but we really didn't. We were voluntold to do a lot of things. But oftentimes, I would go to that pity party and I would say, "Dad, this is dumb. We're always the last to leave." And he said, "This." Been, <laughs> This is number one. He says, listen, God's going to repay for what an individual does. He said, Matthew, I'm going to teach you and your sister, and it's not going to be fun, and you're not going to like it. <laughs> but I'm going to teach you how to be responsible, how to be a servant, and how to serve. That's what leaders do. There's a really cool picture on Facebook that's got, uh, it's a picture of a bad leader, and it's got the guy up here, he's like on an elevated throne, and he's doing this, and he's got all the people down here. The bad leader, and they fast forward to the good picture, and it's the leader in front of everyone else, and, he, and everybody else is lined up even with him, and he's helping them pull. See, this is, this is, this is what happens, but often we want to say, just leave me alone. I just want to be alone. What we need to understand is that God takes care of those who choose to follow him. Today we're going to check out the last verse. Can you flip back, flip back that, that last screen? I want, I want to read Ruth one more time. It says, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Here's the sad part. Most followers of Jesus Christ, most followers are not familiar with where under the, whose wings is. They don't even know that's a place. Let me tell you something. That video that we showed talks about a battle going on. There's a battle going on in some people's lives. It's very dark. There's very short, sharp, pointy things, and it hurts a lot. The very last part of the video is what you need to... I can give you the YouTube link. And some of you need to just cut that clip out, put it on repeat, and just watch it because it says the victory and the battle is already won. God is bigger than your stuff. I talked to you a couple weeks ago. My, I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old. We watch VeggieTales. One of the most amazing understandings of how big God is comes in a song that God is bigger than the boogeyman. God is bigger than the boogeyman. Some of you have boogeyman people, things in your life right now. But we want to say, oh, it's so negative, I can't. Oh, my gosh. Look at the first blank on your worship handout. We're going to redo this one. God always repays for what an individual does. Think about it. Think about it. We'll talk about that other person. Let's not talk about you because we all know that we're good. Again, that's sarcasm. So, number one, always repay for what an individual does. Now, you get this. How about this? When's the last time, when's the last time that you saw free meals given to someone that verbally explodes at McDonald's? Not out of, not out of because they got the order wrong, but somebody just comes in and just goes absolutely crazy. How many of those people say, hey, for the next year, we're going to give you 20% off of whatever you do come here? See, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Even society doesn't work that way. God always repays for what an individual does. You can be sure. When I was studying this, I was like, oh my gosh. God always repays for what an individual does. Wait a minute. It's like I'm under a microscope. Can I get away from what God sees? No. Uh-oh. You can be sure that God knows what you do. What you get from God is a result of what you do for God. Now, some people will claim this. Well, I'm going to attend church. God, you told me six months from now you're going to give me a car just because I'm going to church. Listen, there's no bigger lie than that. You know what God owes you? Nothing. 
God doesn't owe us anything. And often, I want to be, maybe you put yourself in this, and I want to be so self-righteous and said, God, all I do is serve, will you not bless me? How hard, listen, we just jumped in Naomi's boat. We're now, we're now rigging up the outboard and cranking the throttle on Naomi's boat of pity. God, listen, this is what I do for you. You should, listen, God does not owe you anything. What you have in your life, the blessings that you've received in this life, are complete offerings of God's grace and His love. But too often, we have that thing happen in our life and say, God, this isn't fair. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I told you a story about a, a friend of mine in the past, the past two months. Life has not been fair. But she understands that God's big, bigger than the battle that she's in. I can't wait to see who she's going to be able to minister to. If you're new with us, I have, a, I have a friend. She lost her 36-year-old husband. He's a year older than me. We were buddies growing up over in Albion. He, he died in a, in a plane crash. He left four kids under the age of eight. And I see these posts of her, and I am just thinking that I have this bad day. And then I read what Aaron says. I'm like, man, I want to be like this. I, wa- I, wanna, I can't wait to see how God repays her for what the glory. She, says, she said there is nothing that God cannot bring glory for himself out of. It's unbelievable. Look at number two. God always takes care of those who will let him lead their life. Now, we talked about, we talked about the, 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 the wing. The wing. When baby chicks have a problem, listen, they run to their mom, the hen puts out the wings, and they, and they gather in there. If you've seen the movie The Croods, they all go to the cave. The cave is safe, right? The cave is safe. My favorite on that movie is Belt, by the way. If you've seen that, if you haven't seen that movie, go watch The Croods. Baby chicks gather under their mother's wing. God knows whose lives are gathered under his shadow. Think about that. God knows everything. He always repays for what an individual does, and God always takes care of those who will let him lead their life. This is the difference. This is is the one guy. God, I got this. I've been to church. Just send me a car. God, I got to wake up today. Yeah, there's some things in this life that make me sad. There's some things in life that are really hard. But God, I know in those low times, that's the time that I need you. So I really, God, I just want you to know that I need you. I'm nothing by myself. I need you. You think God sees a difference? You think your coworkers would see a difference in you, how you react, either way of these? You betcha. You shine like a light bulb. That's what, the, that's what the Bible's talking about. We're going to be a city on a hill. You're going to be a city on a hill in your workspace. You're supposed to be loud. God, in the Bible, calls us peculiar people. We're supposed to be different. But God always takes cares of, care of those who let him lead their life. My question is this. I asked those kids and those teachers, where do you go when things go wrong? And they said, social media, and, and I want to be alone, and all this stuff. And then I asked them this question. I said, do you come to God with your needs? And they're very honest with me. Some of them just said no. Maybe they don't have a relationship with God. Other than, others said this, you know, I should. But often he's not the first on my list. See, God always takes care of those who will let him lead their life. 
that bumper sticker comes into play. God is my co-pilot. No, 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 no. If God's your co-pilot, switch seats. No. Yes, things happen. But do you, got, do you go to God when they do? Do you know where to go when things go wrong? Listen, I have, I have people that I go to, but often I find myself going, oh, I just wish that they would just justify my actions. Don't, don't tell me. You have those people too. I could call this person, but they're going to be honest. I don't think I'll call them. I'm going to call this person. This person will tell me exactly what I want to hear. Ding. Or you post something on Facebook. <laughs> and you only tag the people that you know that are going to agree with you. That's justification of your actions. That's being codependent, by the way. CR meets Friday night, 645. Now, God always takes care of those who will let him lead their life. Look at, look at, look at Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. The writer is saying this in verse 5. He says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I often talk about my, my worship experiences. I haven't talked about one for a while, but my worship experience is in my truck. Now, I have to keep, I teach driver's ed, so, you know, it's 10 and 2 always. Not really, I'm not going to lie. It's not. But in my truck, sometimes the music might be louder than normal. As in, if somebody was sitting in the pastor's side, we probably couldn't talk. We probably couldn't yell. But I was going over to school one day, and a song came on my, uh, on my radio, and instantly, I just turned it up. And I replayed the song again. And I replayed the song again. And I replayed the song again. About the fourth or fifth time, I just felt like I was just lost in saying thank you to God. Because I was going down the highway, under control. But I kept saying, I kept saying this. Your love never fails. It never gives up. And it never runs out on me. That's how I get through my days sometimes. Listen, I don't know what it's like to not have hope. I think that would scare me to death. I'm so thankful. See, we're, we're so caught up in, I want a bigger house, I want a bigger this, I want a bit of this, I just want this, I just want this. But we don't want to be financially responsible for our money. We just want it. But God says this, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. How many of your friends, think about this, how many of your friends, how many of your family members have ever completed those last two and a half lines? Ever. At one point or another, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. I don't care how much I love my mom and dad, and I've had this discussion with them, they've had this discussion with me, my mom and dad have let me down. They're not perfect people. God has not. I have a great relationship with my parents, and as, as good as that relationship is, God says, I am so, I love you so much more. I created this whole relationship between you two. I gave them you. Look at the next verse that he says. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Now, this, it, this, is, a, this, is, a, this, is, this is awful to some people. This third line, it says on the very end, that four-letter word, it's a Christian cuss word. Fear. Because we want to be isolated. We, want to, we think that is, just, that is just the worst word in the world because it's, it just, oh, Fear involves, fear involves worry. Fear involves, listen, do you know stress can kill you physically? Stress can cause ulcers. It can kill you. It can kill you. You raise your blood pressure, you have a heart attack because of stress and worrying. God says this, listen, my people, my people, this is what he's saying. 
I don't don't want you to fear. I don't want you to have fear. When things go wrong, listen, yes, there's a time to weep. There's a time. That's going to be hard. But please don't fear. He goes on in verse 7. Look at this. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the examples of their faith. Revert back to following those footsteps. Remember, I used, to, I used to go hunting with my grandpa. My grandpa was this huge dude, and he stepped like this big, and we were in this deep snow, but I knew that I could step where his feet were because it was safe because he was bigger than me, and if he didn't fall through something, then I wasn't going to either. But he also taught me that stuff spiritually. You maybe have people in this church, maybe people in your family that have, that have passed things on to you spiritually and their footsteps, that they go. My dad often has conversations with me with different phases that I'm going through in life. Last week I turned 35 years old and he came up to me and he said, well, he said, you don't have any political background thus far, so I take it, this is not a big birthday, you're not going to run for president. I said, probably not. So he comes and talks to me, he said, he said Matthew, you're going to see your kids grow up from this age to this age. He's already done that, okay? He's already seen me grow up. So he gives me these footprints, like that I can see, and, and he, he says, he says, don't ever think you can talk about God too much. Don't ever stop applying what God's doing in your life and teaching your kids. Don't ever, and he just gave me these footsteps. And this is what the writer says, think of all the good that has come from their lives. Not how good of a person they were, because everybody messes up. He says, I want you to remember how my stuff came out of their life. Remember, don't fear. He goes on in verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, when we base our things on Jesus, <laughs> sometimes that road's bumpy. You know what I mean. You act, you act differently about, around a group of Christian people than you do your buddies. I watched some videos by the skit guys. They're really popular on YouTube, and they do a lot with Celebrate Recovery. And one of the guys mentions, he said, he said, I don't want to... He said, every time I start to look more like God, less people hang out with me. Jesus warns way back in, early, in, in the New Testament, way back, 2,000 years ago, he tells a group of 12 really, really ordinary guys, he said this. He said, there's going to be people in this world that are not going to like you. In fact, they're going to hate you. But don't take it personally. They don't hate you. They hate me that's in you. See, they didn't like it because Jesus could give them a new start. Every time, I I had the grand splendor and pleasure of driving for two, three years east to Wayne City. You know what you get to see east if you drive there in the morning? The sun. Every day I was reminded, God's like, I created this just for you. I was reminded that last night we watched the cruise with my daughters. And they talk about, when she sees the sun go away, she goes, please come back tomorrow. And when it comes back, they get a new start. Every day, God offers this to us. Every day. Look at your worship handout with me. We're going to get into Matthew chapter 9 here in just a second, but listen to this. If Jesus was concerned with the needs of others during his earthly life, we can be certain he wants to direct our paths to meet the needs of others if he is the Lord of our lives. Now, I know that's a lot of words, but listen to this. If Jesus was concerned about meeting the needs of others, was he? Absolutely yes. We're going to see throughout the ninth chapter of Matthew that all Jesus did, he walked around and he goes, oh, how can I help you? Okay, how can I help you? How can I help you? How can I help you? He didn't have to go anywhere because they came to him. Crowded. Often not convenient. He didn't rest well. I would I'd think there would be a whole bunch of stuff. 
we see, we all want to be famous. But if you get into, the, into the, the lives of celebrities and the people that are really famous, they often have a really, really dark side. So they turn to something, at, you know, addiction-wise or something, that, that would get them away. They just want to escape. I can't imagine what it was like to be Jesus. Not Jesus, the perfect person. Jesus, the guy that tries to meet all, meet all these needs. Think about that. What if you had a thousand people? What if the next time that you got out to go to Dunham's, there was a thousand people that walked into Dunham's and you couldn't leave until you talked to all of them? Some of you are like, good, I don't go to Dunham's. Listen, I'm not, what if you went to Kroger or Walmart and there were a thousand people? Jesus was so concerned at meeting their needs that we see some of the things some of the things, the tip of the iceberg in what he did. But if you're with me, if you're in Matthew chapter 9, flip over to verse, nine, or, uh, verse 2. But this is, this is my question for you today. Maybe you need to hear this. Do you come to Jesus in the midst of your life's controversies? In the midst of your life's disagreements? When life attacks you and it makes you bitter? Or when life betrays you and causes you to retaliate, do you go? When th- where do you go when things go wrong? Are you coming to Jesus? Because we're going to see throughout the entire ninth chapter that he is begging you to come to him. Why? The battle's already won. He has the antidote. Here. It's me. It's, it's him. It's what he's saying. It's me. Look at verse, look at verse 2. In Matthew chapter 9. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. In verse 6, skipping a little bit. In verse 6, So I prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Verses 2 and 6, we see people, because they know the cure is Jesus, They take their friend to Him. When's the last time that you and I did that? Whoa. Whoa, let's let's keep talking about the story in Matthew. Listen, this is a conversation that God and I had this week. He said, Matt, when's the last time you brought somebody to me? Every day. All day. He He said, Jesus fished every day. He fished all day. He did things for people anytime. It wasn't about being convenient. Remember I told you one of the biggest lies that the church has ever told someone when they become a follower of Christ is, it is going to be a cakewalk now. It is easy now. Your troubles are over. Your troubles are just starting. <laughs> and they'll end when you die. <laughs> if you continue to follow Jesus, they will end when you die. But Jesus helped the group and the one person that came to him. Can you imagine? You had a buddy? You got a friend physically, physically ill, paralyzed. And their faith was so big that they brought, listen, they carried this dude. Couldn't walk. They carried him or they, drag, or they drug him, whatever. But they put him in Jesus' presence. A connection, we see a similarity because there's people in our church that I can show you, that I can introduce you to, that can stand up before us and talk that there were some people that befriended them. And they said, I understand what you're going through. I've been through that myself. Let me take you to the place. 
And there are people in this room right now that five years ago were not where they are today. And it's not because of me. It's not because of our former pastor. It's because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross because the battle is already over. It's won. God says, come to me. Come to me. Look at, verse, look at the next one, the next screen. It says verse 9. Now we're going we're to skip a couple verses as we go through this. Verse 9 says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. If you have a different Bible, it may say Levi. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, problem, problem, time out, time, 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 time. You know, Jesus, can you imagine being a disciple? Now, Jesus, I was cool with you healing the paralyzed guy. That was neat. That was neat. But we're not going to hang out with the tax collector. No. Tax collector made his money. He gave, he gave to Rome what he could, what if, if they said Lee has $20 in taxes, and I'm Matthew, I go to Lee and say, give me 30 bucks. I give 20, whatever else I can get above the 20 is mine to keep. Okay? This guy is not popular. Not at all. He's despised, if not hated. Jesus walks up to this guy. Look at this. Walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. People did not want to even go by. For me, and I don't want this to sound negative, but if I buy my wife a candle from like Yankee Company or the, wood, the Woodwick candles or something really cool for our house, if I go home and I give her a candle and said, I bought this for you, she knows it's an absolute sacrifice of everything that is a sinus in me. There are times that I will walk on the other side in a mall, on the other side from the candle shop. I don't mind smelling one. Smelling 5,000 does not agree with me. I cannot breathe for over an hour if I walk in that store. But this is what they would do. They would despise him so much they wouldn't even walk by him. They'd walk on the other side of the street. They'd cut a street around him. But Jesus walks up to him. And he, all he said was, follow me and be my disciple. Really? Here's what Jesus does. So Matthew got up and followed him. And God asked me, every time I come by you and I ask you to do something, Matt, do you just get up and follow me? Or do you do like your four-year-old and your six-year-old do sometime and say, I don't want to clean my room right now. Look at verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and the disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Matthew understands that he's been transformed, and what does he do? He goes out and gets his buddies. More gross. It's like 5,000 more candles. And they bring him in, and Jesus meets with him. Jesus joins with the one who followed him. Look at verse, look at verse 18. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and you lay your hand on her. Now wait, time out. I'm talking about the leader of a synagogue. Do that math. It doesn't say a follower came to him. It says a guy that knew what church was about came to him. Why do you think they came to him? Because a couple verses earlier, he raised the paralyzed guy to walk again. He says, but you can bring her back to life. I have faith in this. Look at He goes on. Verse 25. I skipped a little bit more. Verse 25 says, after the, crowds, after the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. 
Jesus helps a broken-hearted man. Are you seeing any type of same scenario things going on? Jesus helps people where they are. Not one time. Not one time did Jesus sit here and he said, you have to come to me. Did it? He goes and he helps this girl because the guy came to him. He goes and helps the paralyzed man. Verse 20. Just then a woman who had suffered for 12 years with a constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe. I love this story. You can take take the issue of the bleeding, whatever out of it, but here's the deal. Until you get humble enough in your stuff that it's okay, all you need to do is touch. She knew this. She knew this. She was so broken and so humble. Can you imagine that? It was like a person that tries to lose a whole bunch of weight. They've tried everything. They've tried everything. And if they could just touch that one thing that would help. This lady knew who the one thing was. She knew what the one thing was. And all she needed to do, in her mind, she said, all i got to do, he is so holy and he is so powerful. If I can just touch the fringe on his robe. Have you been there? To touch the fringe of his robe would have been down on the ground and she would have had to almost dive to touch it, leaving her face down on the ground. She's a whole lot more than just touching his robe there. Look at verse 21. For she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And she does it. Look at verse 22. Jesus turned around, and when he asked her, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. It was not because she touched his garment. It was her faith. It was her faith. Now, we have these things come in our life and say, Well, I don't have enough faith to get through it because it's all negative. Everything bad happens to me. I told you about my buddy. that When Chris, my buddy Chris was alive, he imitated him. And this guy had more money than you, probably all of us could spend. I don't know, there's people that really like to shop in here. But anyway, we, he has a lot of money. And you ask him, hey, how's it going today? Oh, it's okay. I'm thinking, dude, you got, you drive this car, you live in this house, you live outside of city limits, you can hunt in your backyard. You have a pond that has huge fish in it. How are you not elated? This is perfect. It was like, it was like I, took, I took, physically took a legal pad and went, oh, I want a pond, big fish. I want this, I want this, I want this. And I said this, and this guy had it. Sometimes we're so lost in our own self-absorption that we don't understand what God has blessed us with. On the way here this morning, Quietly to myself, said, thank you, God, for letting my, letting my truck start whenever I put the key in it. Thank you, God, when I got here, there were people that were already here. They were already making this an environment for people to be welcomed when they came here. Thank you, God, for different people doing different jobs. This woman was not self-absorbed. This woman's faith had healed her. Jesus had helped a hopeless woman. Look at verse 27. After Jesus left the girl's home, Two blind men. It doesn't, you ever think you have a, a really busy day? Have you recounted everything that's happened? This, is, this, is, this, could, be very well, this could be a day or a little short amount of time. You ever feel like, I cannot get anything done. People keep calling. People keep doing this. Look, look at this. Two blind men. You, you get done. To, he just said, after leaving the girl's house. Wow, Jesus, that was really cool. Oh, great. There's two blind men. 
they're probably going to ask for something too. Can you imagine how the disciples thought about this? Think, oh, great. How many people are going to help today, Jesus? When are we going to go home, Jesus? He goes on. They say this, Son of David, have mercy on us. Number one, they were blind. Number two, they said, Son of David. They knew who Jesus was. You get this? They could not see him. And they said, Son of David, we have heard about what you can do. Please have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, I love this, do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told them we do. They said yes, that's a good thing. They also said authority word. They said Lord, yes, God, yes, yes, yes. Do you believe that? I cannot get along with this person at work. God says, I want you to get along with this person at work. I want you to seek to find a a common ground. I want you to seek to show them my love. God, you don't have to work with this person. This is our argument. God, you don't have to work with this person. You have no idea. (laughs) And then I get asked the question. Do you believe I can do all things? Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes we say it really quiet. Yes. Sometimes, sometimes when, when, when we've already seen it done, it's like, yes! Sometimes it's like, uh, yeah, I guess. Maybe. Yes, Lord, they told him. We do. 29. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith. Again, faith. Faith. It happened. 30. Then their eyes were open and they could see. You've seen these videos on Facebook of the kids that get the, the correct hearing aids and they hear for the first time. Can you imagine... Can you imagine what it would be like to see when you have not been able to see? I I don't know, because I can see. But their eyes were open. So was their heart. Wow, God, you were... Wow. Jesus made two more followers right there, I promise you. He met their needs. He met their needs. Jesus helped two who would call out His name. Look at verse 32. When they left, <laughs> ding, ding, next. It's like Jesus is like the barbershop. Next. He walks out and says, when they left, the demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon, and then the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. There's, there's verse 34. But the Pharisees said, he can cast out demons because he is empowered by the prince of demons. This is the problem. This is where we get into it. The Pharisees could not do this. The Pharisees knew. I think deep down in their heart of hearts, the Pharisees knew exactly who Jesus Christ was. But it was against so much of their tradition, they said, we have got to be against this. Anything that we can get to put him to death. Listen, he, listen he's casting out demons because the demons listen to him because he worships Satan and the demons. No. <laughs> Satan can't be in the same place of the king of kings. Jesus helps out in the midst of unbelief. Can you imagine that guy couldn't speak, comes up to him. This is life tormented. Would you use the word torment in your life? Has it been that bad? Listen, we're seeing examples of Jesus being over it. Over it. Look at verse 36. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Time out. Next. Now we have crowds. Plural. He had compassion on them. Because why? Look at this. They were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How many people do you go around every day? Are you around every day that you look at them and you can just tell that when something happens in their life, they do not have hope? Do you know who they are? Listen, these people are so scared. Remember I talked about fear. Where do you go when things go wrong? Listen, we as followers, we have the recipe. My grandmother, she made the most impressive, awesome dessert I have ever eaten in my entire life. We put it on a scale, a three-layer cake, weighs almost nine pounds. The icing alone, thank you God, has one entire package of fully chocolate, chocolate chips. Just the icing. They're going to serve this in heaven, I'm pretty sure. My grandma would make this. And it would be a sacrifice of her entire day. It's three cakes. You have, listen, you have to keep this thing in the refrigerator so it doesn't, the icing is so heavy it will implode. It's awesome. You know why she did it? Because she loved us. But you know what? She showed me a couple secret tricks. So that after she was gone, and she's hanging out with Jesus now, I could replicate that. She had to show me footprints, though. Because if you just follow that recipe, bad, not good. Not grandma's. Oh, you did this. I can't tell you what they are, but anyway. (laughs) But Jesus walks around seeing these people. He says, I want to give you footsteps. I want to I want I want to give you footsteps so that you can step in them and the people that are watching you at your job, at your work, in your family, in your relationship with your husband, in your relationship with your fiance or your boyfriend and girlfriend. Listen, God is in the business of bringing glory to himself. And the only thing that he wants to do today to some of us is he wants to look at you, he wants to give you a big hug, and he wants to tell you this. There is nothing in your life that I cannot help you with. There is nothing that I'm not bigger than. There is nothing that you can bring to me that has me confused. We looked in the entire... I I would highly suggest this week, if you want to do a, a really cool... Bible study, and you can just dig into this deeper. You go into the ninth chapter of Matthew, and you get a big study Bible, and you just read all the bottom of all this stuff. There's no way possible I could preach that in one Sunday. No way. But read all the different things. Listen, Jesus doesn't get a break, and oftentimes I want to say, God, I'm just so busy. God usually doesn't cut me much like He says, well, you need to be better with your time. Because when you tell me that you don't have time but you have time to do this, then that means that you have time, you're just not choosing to do what I want you to do. I don't like those conversations, by the way. I don't know if you do. But they just call my attention. Look at verse 36. Again, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If I gave you that recipe for my grandma's cake, some of you could come pretty close. Others, it would be a disaster. But unless I, then if I came back the second time and I told you those secrets, it may get really, really, really close. 
See, without the help, without God's help, we are like these people. We are in the same situation. We are confused and helpless. There are times in this life, even as followers, we are confused, we feel helpless, but you're never without a shepherd. Not as a follower. Now I'm going to ask you a really, really tough question here in a second. And it's on your worship handout. Turn with me. Look at that. Look at that blank. Do you think? No. Do you believe that God can help you? God will make a way for you even in a difficult situation. Some of you, seriously, please listen to me. When you go home, some of you need to take a pair of scissors or a pocket knife and cut this out. And you need to put it in your wallet. You need to put it uh, somewhere that you're going to see it every day on your bathroom mirror. It says, do I believe that God can help me? Do I believe it? Listen, if you don't believe it, we have to remember, God doesn't owe us anything. He's looking for those people that want to stay in his shadow, under his wings. He's looking for that person that has that bad day and say, God, man, what a day. You realize that when we talk to God like this, he just wants to talk to us? I know, I was there. Imagine how this conversation goes. God, I had a rough day. I know, buddy. I know, son. I know, daughter. And I just don't know how to deal with this situation. Keep honoring me. But God, that's hard. That turns me into some kind of Jesus freak nobody wants to be around. He said, listen, it's not you that they don't dislike. 2,000 years ago, my son said the same thing to 12 ordinary guys. Some think that they're jealous of you because you have this better life. Some people are jealous of you because they think that you have this. I had friends in college. My dad's a pastor. I told you that. I had friends in college who told me that Christmas must be awesome at my house because my dad was a pastor. We get the offering. He thought we were rich. He's crazy. See, that he, didn't, he, didn't, he was clueless. Then that led me into another conversation. If he thought that I got the offering because my dad was a pastor, I asked him when's the last time he was at church. You can come with me. We have these things in our church called lights. We have to turn them on. We have to pay for that. But he was hopeless. He was clueless. That same person over two years of playing baseball together in college. Two years of being, listen, you, you have to understand that <clears throat> I was a catcher. He was a pitcher. You have to communicate on such a level, at that level, as a pitcher and catcher, that you have to, I can tell you what he's thinking. He can tell what I'm thinking. Oftentimes, we could probably go through an entire, entire inning or, or more than an inning, and he does, we don't even have to concentrate. I know what he's going to throw. And he knows that when he throws it, he's got the confidence in me that I'm either going to block it or I'm going to catch it or I'm going to throw that guy out or I'm going to make the play. It was that kind of relationship that God had with us. And, and my freshman year when I came there, he had no clue. He had no clue. He was helpless. He was hopeless. Every day, almost every day, I would hear about how bad his day was. And I listened. And I listened. And I would offer advice. And he thought that I just had the Disney World life. And one day I got an opportunity. He said, he said my dad will just not leave me alone. And I said, you're lucky. What? I said, I love my dad. Up until about a year ago, I was about 21 or 22 at the time. I said, up to about a year ago, I didn't have a relationship with my dad. Your dad's a pastor. You have a relationship with your dad. See, this is the stereotype. People say, oh, hey, you know, Disneyland and Matt and Mary's house. Listen, I'm telling you. I told him, I, and when I locked into that scenario and I said, listen, I don't know what it's like to have a solid, good relationship with my dad. My dad worked six days a week. On his day off, he was at church. 
I don't know what it's like to have him around. I don't know what it's like to do this. I said, you should be thankful for that. And through that conversation, he started to understand that there were things in my life just like his, but I had hope and he didn't, and he didn't know why. He could throw 94 miles an hour, but it didn't matter. When he was laying in bed at night, he still had no hope. Until the day that we went, a buddy of mine had been at his house during the weekend, and we walked in on a Sunday evening. We went over to our room, and this guy was, was very, very um, interested in, in how I was trying to, he was a follower, and we were trying to, to just show what God can do in our life. And I said, we're not even going to bother him. We're just going to go to our room and just, we're going to go to our room and turn left and we're going to play whatever and whatever. About 35 seconds later, I didn't time it. Uh, less than a minute later, knock on the door. It's about 8 o'clock in the evening. Our buddy walks in. We play baseball with the pitcher. At a little after 3 a.m., he called his mom and dad, told them that he had put all of his trust in Jesus Christ. Because before that, he had no hope, and he wanted hope. And about 3.30 in the morning, he called my mom and dad. And this was, this was a conversation that I heard that I'll never forget. He said, thank you for teaching your son how to walk beside people in this life. I will never forget that. There are some days that I get up and I repeat that in my head. God, help me, help me, help me, help me to show the way to you from somebody else. Let them see you in me. So do I believe that God can help me? Do you believe that God can help you? And we say this last fluffy part because we think we have to. God will make a way in every, even in a difficult situation. Listen, I promise you that even in the worst situation, God's good. You know Why? He can't be anything else. It's impossible. He can't be anything but perfect. He can't be anything but loving. He can't be anything but caring. And his son was the same way. And in Matthew 9, we see that. He he couldn't get away from the crowd. So where do you go when things go wrong? Social media? Man, I'm going to blast that person. Listen. Take a step back. Go to God. And it can't, your prayer can't start out like this. God, I have no idea. Okay. You're talking to the right person. He can give you an idea. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? Think about that. Where do you go when things go wrong? Do you want to be left alone? Go back to an addictive behavior? Your friends, your family, social media, tell your epic story. God is calling us to come to Him. He says, There's some family and some friends that are safe, but I want you to come to me. And we want to just run around here and say, my life is horrible, my life stinks, I can't do anything right. Then we have to look back. Where do we go when things go wrong? And God is, today he is just waiting to say, come on home. Ask me. I'll show you. Nothing takes him by surprise. And to remind you, One more time. Where do you go when things go wrong? Maybe it's something that's been against you, and I'm going to tell you to do something, and you're not going to like it. And some of you aren't going to like it because you've heard it two weeks in a row. 
but you need to let it go. Some of those things have been holding you captive in your life for 20 years. Let it go. Let it go. I've been talked to by, by a person, and they said, I didn't have a relationship with a family member for over 20 years. It was so stupid. Let it go. God can use you to bring hope to that relationship. God can use you to make a difference today. So when you go eat lunch, don't walk in there like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. Did you go to church today? Yeah. Come on. Did you have worship today? Yeah. Go in there like God's done something in your life. You know why? Because He has. You get to eat. You get to taste food. I love my four-year-old. She prays, God, I thank you for my food. She's getting ready to go to bed. God, thank you for food. (laughs) That's the type of attitude that we should have. But do we believe that God can help you? I do. You know why? Because I've seen it. God has been working in my life. I'm not the same person that I was last week. Thank God. God has a, he has a future and he has a plan. We just celebrated a graduation season. God has stuff going on with our young people here at this church and in this area, and I am just pumped. I'm seeing so much awesome, so many awesome things. But when you go out to lunch today, you walk in there not like Eeyore. Walk in there like Piglet. He's always excited. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for today. God, in this life, sometimes it's really easy to play the negative card. It's really easy to just look at all things negative. Where do I go when things go wrong? Where, does, where do these people go when things go wrong? God, the, the number one answer should be we go to you. God, but we're human. We mess up, and we don't always do that. God, we ask right now that you begin to change our life. Let us look at things different. Let us be thankful where we weren't thankful. Let us just be able to see good things in all circumstances. And God, if there's sorrow, let us grieve. And if we need to go to the pity party, let us go. Just help us know when to leave. God, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for the opportunity to come here and listen to music about you and listen to your word. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.